Like Call It What You Want, which we know is your favorite podcast about the beautiful game, Viore is committed to delivering a great experience for everyone, which is highlighted by their new perspective on performance apparel. Everything is designed to work out in, but doesn't look or feel like it. In fact, I'm rocking their Stratotech polo right now, along with their Sunday performance jogger pants, so I can be business on top when I'm on camera, but super comfortable on the bottom. And it's just the best. Fiori gear is incredibly versatile, and it can be used for just about any activity. Running, training, swimming, lounging around, hosting podcasts, doing errands, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. And for our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash call it. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash call it. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash call it and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. What's up, everybody, and welcome to your favorite podcast ever. Call what you want. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Jesse Marsh and Charlie Davies. And we have a lot to get into today because U.S. Men's National Team and our player pool had a hell of a weekend. So there's a lot of goals to talk about, a lot of great performances. We're also going to be talking about Duncan McGuire not making the move. I thought he was going to make the move. Everybody thought he was going to make the move. He's not making the move. That's not going to happen. And uh, Americans to watch an MLS this upcoming season. So a lot. But of course, of course, it's tradition here that we've established right from the get-go. We have the word of the day. So I'm going to present a word to Charlie and to Jesse because, as we know, the beautiful game is known in all types of different ways. That's why you can call it what you want. Soccer, football, foochieball, uh, foosball, what, what, whatever you want. Whatever you want. Whatever they call it in Botswana as well. Okay? So here we go. Call what you want. Word of the day is, is Kuratul Kademi. Watch your mouth, Jimmy. Watch your mouth. Kuratul Kademi. I think I, I think I definitely have a good idea where that word is coming from. Okay. But I'm going to flip it on you. You got to tell me what this word means in football. Okay. Do you have an idea? Okay. Okay. All right. Iku Ojo Ibi. Ooh. I, I like that one. I, I, I'm going to say Botswana because that's been a running joke with us. Botswana. <laughs> Could wow. you could you re- could you repeat that again? I just want to get the pronunciation right. Yes, Iku Ojo Ibi. I believe I'm not sure exactly where that's from, but I believe it means happy birthday. It does to our own. And it is Nigerian. Nigerian, Hello? of course, of course. Happy birthday, Thank Jimmy! You. Thank, Thank you Jimmy. very much. Thank you well, very Jimbo much. Jimbo turned 76 today. <laughs> I know, I'm Jesse's age. Incredible. It's crazy. I got up to wow, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> we picked the Nigerian, we picked the, the, the Af- AFCON losers as, <laughs> yeah. as the word of the day. Yes, I appreciate that. I knew he'd go with Botswana. But that seems fitting for Jimmy, right? That seems about right. Listen, I'll be a losing super eagle anytime. I'll take it. That's Happy great. birthday, brother. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, All right. Awesome. So to answer your word, I'm going to go with Jordan. That's where it comes from. <laughs> Jordan? I'll go Syria. What the heck? Syria, it's it's... Well, let me give you some clues here. A team from a country that speaks this language caused an upset at the 2022 World Cup by beating Belgium 2-0. And then, and then Africa's most successful club team hails from a country that speaks this language. Huh. So, so it's, it's less a country and more Egypt. a language that's, nope. that's, nope. that's spoken. Nope. Not in the 2022 world. It's Cup. a language that's spoken throughout the region. It's not so just if they're upset, then it's, then it's Morocco. Morocco is the first clue. Okay. And, and Al-Ali 
from Egypt. That's Jesse was right. Yeah. Is the second one. They speak Arabic. It's Arabic. Arabic, yeah, Arabic okay. is the word. All right. So we, we, we tied it. You got it. You guys tied. You tied. Yeah, we tie. And I win the happy birthday one. So. <laughs> you win the happy birthday. <laughs> I, Although it's I a didn't. setup. Although it's a setup. <laughs> oh, Lord. It's Monday. I love God. it. I absolutely love it. All right. Let's get into the show, though. We got some big things to talk about. Apparently, it's being reported that the U.S. men's national team will play Colombia in Copa America. And a tune-up, I should say, a friendly to a tune-up friendly to Copa America, and, and I find this to be interesting. And Jesse, I want to get your thoughts on this because there's a possibility that the U.S. could play Colombia in the knockout rounds once they get out of their group because they cross over with Brazil and Colombia's group in the tournament itself. So, is this the best idea to play a team that you are going to most likely or potentially face at some point in this tournament? I mean, why not have a warm-up match against, like, Bolivia or Uruguay? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the team's in our group. Yeah. Oh, Lord. No, I mean, I, I would guess that it's not so easy getting uh, a match because uh, maybe the other teams have already organized something. Getting a European team maybe doesn't make sense in the moment, and maybe they're busy with with the Euro, qualif- uh, Euro preparation. So... I don't think it's ideal to play a team that you could see in three weeks, two and a half weeks, but um, obviously you need a good game. And I, and I think that Columbia fits that, that category. So, but for me, not ideal, certainly not ideal. Okay. The game's going to take place, Charlie, on June 8th at FedEx field reportedly uh, in Maryland, 15 days before Greg and the boys uh, get their tournament underway against Bolivia. And I think what's interesting is that they're trying to get a second friendly Okay. And I'm also hearing this, this is reported, but there's rumors flying around that we, they could be playing Brazil on June 12th, four days later after this other friendly against Colombia in Orlando being reported as the host city for that. Again, we would be crossing over with both Brazil and Colombia. These are great games to Jesse's point, but still competitively or, or trying to find that competitive advantage, I guess it's the same for them. Why would they want to play us when we could get a little bit of a better look at them prior to a big tournament? But still, it's crazy. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if you're not playing Brazil or Colombia, then it's Argentina, right? That That's who you'd want to play. You'd, you'd yeah. want to play the best. And I guess it's like a a good way to see if you're you're, you're up to, to the standards to, to make a run in Copa America. Because I think you're going to find out a lot of things in those friendlies of, do I have the right players, the right system? And I can make those last-minute changes heading into the tournament as opposed to playing a, a Paraguay or Peru or, you know, one of the lower teams and you beat them or, you know, game goes as, as expected. And then all of a sudden you play Uruguay and it's bang three nil. And you're like, Oh, we lose three nil. Cause you know, I I'd rather play against the best teams. Cause you either, if you do really well, you're going to end up playing Brazil or Colombia anyways. So you might as well, if you're going to, if you can schedule them and, the other teams are are unavailable, then yeah, I'd rather play them than than anyone else. Okay, okay. I, I I could see that perspective for sure, and I understand it. To both of your points, if we can get a good game, we got to get a good game because we can kind of test our group as to how we want to play and, and uh, the formation we're going to play in. Now, Jesse, I'm going to come back to you on this because I, I find this fascinating in terms of preparation. I mean, June 8th isn't too far after the European season ends, so I wonder knowing all of that and taking that into consideration, how do you approach this game as a coaching staff taking, you know, your methodology in or your, your, your philosophy in the, the physiology, right? Like how hard would you be pressing your guys to try to really go out there? Or how many minutes would you say Christian Pulisic will get in this a half? And then you, you rotate. I mean, what does that look like from, from your perspective? Yeah, I would think that you would use the first match specifically because it's maybe the furthest away from the tournament. But the, if you're saying so, so the Columbia match is two weeks before we play Bolivia. 15 days, so June 8th. And then, and then, and and then, then the, they're, they're, they're trying to get a second game June 12th against Brazil. That's what I've seen out there, rumored okay. in, yeah, in I mean, Orlando. I, I would like to treat one of those matches like it's the actual tournament. You know, so use your starting lineup, not not use 10 subs, you know, use five subs, try to get a little bit of rhythm, see see how the team's performing, 
Try to get your best group out there. Hope everybody's healthy. Hope everybody's coming off the backside of their European uh, season in a good way. And then the other one maybe is a mixed lineup a little bit. So, you know, you you could look at the timing and maybe it's that second match, not the Columbia one, because it's maybe one week right before. So it gives you proper time to recover and, and analyze. Um, but for sure, one of those for me would be like an actual um, dress rehearsal. I think what's interesting about this tournament, Chuck, is that there's a little bit more run up, right? We have a little bit mm -hmm. more time to prepare as opposed to the Nations League semifinal where it's just a FIFA window and you don't have as much time to really get into the weeds in terms of tactics. It's just like, let's let's make this, let's simplify the process as much as possible. But leading up to this, we got two friendlies potentially and, and a little bit of time before that first game hits, which I think allows, and I know Jesse wants, and I want to hear from you on this too, but, but Chuck, like, you can jump in and maybe add that extra layer or two of tactics because you have the time to actually do it, which could be pretty refreshing for the coaching staff. Yeah. I mean, I think what we've always preached on, on, on this show is tactical flexibility. I, I take a, a perfect example in, in the way that Xabi Alonso plays with, with Leverkusen. So they play with a false nine. Typically they're playing with bony face or they're playing with, with uh, Patrick Schick as, as a nine straight up nine. But in this game, and we've seen other managers like go defensive. They get, they get stressed out it, the pressure mounts. So they change their formation. They'd be a little bit more, they play a little bit more defensive or pragmatic. He was like, you know what? I'm going to be more expansive. And they dominated the game. Byron had nothing. Harry Kane had one shot. I think what he had 18 touches in the match. It was complete Leverkusen, but the ability to either play high press or or keep keep a mid block and and keep possession. You saw Arteta with Liverpool; he changed his tactics and and instead of being ultra aggressive at home and playing high high press, they just locked down that middle. They did not allow Liverpool to play through the midfield, and because of that, Liverpool suffered. So, I would just like to see the U.S. men's national team in Copa America. You go, oh. In game, they realize they're not getting enough pressure. They're, put, they're playing higher up the pitch. They can play higher lines because the opponents don't have pacey attackers. So they can they can play the 1v1 and take those risks. Rather, Or they play against the Brazil where, oh, they want to keep the ball and slow it down, possession. So you defend and play a little bit more counter. But the ability to be flexible pre-match, preparing, but also in-game. And and that's what I'm I'm hoping we see in in not only Nations League coming up but in the summer. Yeah. So taking that then, Jesse, as in the baton from Chuck. I mean, how much would you add to? I already had, I have a good idea of how you like to play. Is that enough time for you to implement that? You know, I know Greg's already had this this head start, right? And and uh, he's already laid the foundation for how the team wants to play. But for us to continue to evolve and to be tactically flexible, as Chuck says, there still has to be some of these little nuances and subtleties that's going to make us even better, especially when we play against the best nations in South yeah, America. Absolutely. I think, uh, first of all, we have enough players that are playing at a high level and and have tactical intelligence and play have play in different systems with their club teams and with their national team. So I know that Greg is very married to his the way he likes to play, but I would like to think that there's enough flexibility and tactical sophistication to manipulate opponents and manipulate games to do exactly to to now see if you can tilt the games against the best opponents in your favor. That's what tactics, again, we talked about this before, but that's what tactics are for me. It's it's a way to control an opponent and control the match in the way you want it to be played. So you're right about the fact that when you get your team together for these camps, and, and that was one thing that, that the U.S. team and the coaching staff did not have in the lead up to the World Cup was a real camp to try to institute exactly the way they wanted to play throughout the tournament. Now, every team had that same disadvantage. So, you know, but it's unfortunate when you're a coach, when you're not able to really build in the flexibility that you want and that you think you need, again, especially against the best opponents. So we'll see. We'll see what we get. Um, could, you know, we've seen a little bit where sometimes they'll play 4-2-3-1 and sometimes they'll play more 4-3-3 or 4-1-4-1. So I would hope that we could, 
institute more flexibility than that. Sometimes playing with three in the back, sometimes playing with two strikers, sometimes, you know, ability to, to use more flexibility and the weapons that you have to now tilt the game in your favor against the best opponents on any given day. So we'll see. We'll see what, what they pull out. You look at players like Weston McKinney, who's played every damn position known to man. You look at Christian Pulisic, who's primarily playing on the left, now playing on the right. He's played in, in the center for the U.S. in the in previous years. We've had Timothy Weah play right back, left back, right wing. So you have players who are Chris Richards playing in the midfield in the English Premier League as a center back. So you have all these players who have an ability to adapt and change because the more that these players know positionally where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be, and the guy next to me in certain parts of the field, the easier it is to change those, those, I guess, um, ideas and instructions in game. Yeah, no, those are great points. And, and, I'm curious to see what we do, and hopefully these two of these games will be scheduled so we can talk about it some more moving forward. All right, that wasn't the only matches that were reportedly set. Uh, U.S. Soccer has announced that our U.S. U23s will have its first match of 2024 in late March as they can prepare uh, for the Summer Olympics in Paris, France. Uh, Marco Mitrovic, the coach, they're going to square off with France, and uh, this is going to be a tough one. France is very good. This is what Mitrovic had to say. It, it's an exciting opportunity for us to play France, the Olympic host in a strong soccer nation. France is consistently one of the world's top teams at every age group. This match provides a great chance for us to face another challenging opponent as we continue preparations for the Olympic Games. So I guess my big question <laughs> and, and uh, Jesse, I'll come to you first. What should our expectations be for this particular group? Because we haven't qualified for the Olympics in, in what, 16 years? Something crazy. And yes, we have plenty of talent, but this is going to be a tough tournament. And, and so I kind of want to know where I should be placing my expectations. A lot of it for me will depend on what kind of teams these best countries pull together. So if you just talk about the teams in UEFA, right? They always play the U21 tournaments and those are taken very seriously by all the federations in Europe and that tournament and that championship is considered a real international youth championship. So, and a lot, and what happens is, is usually those players aren't under 21. They're under 21 when the tournament starts, mm -hmm. but when the final is two years later, they're more around 22, 23 years old. So then in theory, those teams can kind of slide right into the Olympics However, most European nations don't treat the Olympics the same way they treat their U21 UEFA championships, your Euro championships. So, um, however, uh, that's a really good sign that we're getting a good match, right? Uh, tested by probably the best team in the world at that point for the at that age group if, if they pull their best players together. And I think we need to be happy that we have a team in the Olympics be really happy that our players will have that big experience and hopefully play against some really good teams, but also be very aware of the fact that we won't be a real team. And, and if we're going to use the game against Slovenia as a little bit of a barometer as to what it might look like, then I think we should temper our expectations and understand that this team's going to be thrown together a lot in the last minute. Hopefully Marco can do a good job with the team. Hopefully the guys can, can understand the way they want to play and execute when the, when the tournament comes around. It's the Olympics, so I, I, I think all of them will be very excited about the opportunity, what an experience it will be. But in the end, the most important thing is that our players are now – now gaining that experience that they've lost for so many years and hopefully be able to use that to bolster what their potential can be for the for the first national team come two, three, four, five years down the road. I think what I'm excited about too is that we're well, I hope that Marco can get a full team together, like a full healthy team. Cause because France is going to ask a lot of questions. Yeah. And we need to have some legitimate answers. And if we can't answer them in this game and this friendly, we better have those answers when this tournament starts. So I'm going to come to you, Chuck, as Thierry Henry's BFF. Uh, he, Thierry Henry, is, for everybody that doesn't know, the U23 coach. He'll be leading France in the Olympics in Paris, which is very exciting. And I know he seems to be really thrilled about getting back into the coaching stuff, even though he's an amazing pundit and obviously one of the top players of all time. Chuck, where do you think Thierry is on on France's chances, let's say, for the Olympics overall? Well, one, I want to uh, make this clear, that this game is happening in Sochaux, 
Montbilliard, my old stadium, Stade Bonal. Nice. So pumped about that. Um, no, but the, the French team is leaps and 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 uh, another stratosphere. Actually, they're in another stratosphere <laughs> to our our under twenty threes. Uh, when you talk about Arno Kalimuendo, way to way to ease us into that. I yeah. know, but these these players are, are so you look at the under twenty threes that we we can play, but they're all part of our our first team. So you're not going to get them uh, for no, for, even, for, for mo- even the Olympics. Uh, I think will be v- very difficult to get one or two of them. Um, whereas you look at the under twenty ones for France, and they're all playing with their clubs, Champions League, and they're all playing. Uh, for the most part, and they're all stars. So it's going to be very difficult, but it's a great match to see where we stand against them because that, that's the standard. They're going to be the favorites at, at home in, in France, uh, in Paris for, for the Olympics. So, I mean, defensively, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned with this group because that's the weakest part of, of this under 23 U.S. team. So when they're going against Matthijs Tell of, of Bayern Munich, He's 18 years old and he's an absolute star. He will be playing in this tournament because he's not going to be a part of the, the first team. Uh, Sh- uh, Shirky from Lyon, uh, another player who's super dangerous. Um, Kali Muendo. It's just Zaire Zaire and, Emery's and pro- three, probably going to be older first, players you know. and three older players. I forgot about the three older players, but I, I, I don't yeah. think Zaire Emery Jerry, will. Jerry's just going to lace them up and play. Apparently, I don't, know. <laughs> I don't think uh, Zaire Emery will will be uh, there just because he'll he'll probably be with the first team. You don't uh, know. Who knows, man? That's yeah. I mean, but he's going to be a part of the Euros squad yeah, most likely, yeah, so fair, I don't think fair. he'll do both. Uh, but that's that's the level we're talking about <laughs> this French team and what. What confidence have you seen out of this under twenty three side, uh, inter- or or quality with performances that inspires you to say, "Oh, they're going to medal"? If it's not some of the first team guys dropping in, if you told me Gio Reyna is going to play, you're going to, you told me Ricardo Pepe and and uh, Balogun, uh, Yunus Musa, then I'd say, "Oh, okay, yeah, we have a legit shot," and I'm and I'm positive, I'm upbeat about the Olympics. Right now, I am I am not. I'm, I'm gonna reserve. I'm gonna reserve my judgment until after March 25th, after we play this game against France. <laughs> I have a much better idea of where my expectations, I suppose, will be uh, given how we perform yeah, against I, I, that particular that's, nation. That's smart of you, but if, if you, you had to give it now, if you had to give it now, listen, maybe yeah. Charlie can go to camp and be a motivational speaker for the team. That was pretty inspiring. <laughs> Yeah, you should. You should. If if you could do the what that guy did when uh, Jurgen Klinsmann was charged, when he ripped that phone book in half, like that would be awesome. Can we get the guy rip the phone book in half again? I'm gonna that come in awesome. just with my hair, my head on fire. You know, just, <laughs> come on, guys! Unbelievable. All right, we're gonna take our first break of call what you want. When we come back, we're gonna talk about Duncan McGuire. Poor Duncan McGuire. Don't go anywhere. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement for his man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Call What You Want. I'm Jimmy alongside Jesse and Chuck, and we are talking a little Duncan McGuire. Now, in every transfer window around the world, there's always some unfortunate soul that got sucked up into the system. Something didn't go right. And this time around just happens to be our very own Duncan McGuire from Orlando City. He was making his move. He was on a flight to Blackburn to go over there, sign for the championship team. They, they needed him. They're, they're five points away from relegation. And then apparently somebody on their staff, I'm going to, summarize here hit save instead of submit 
to the people at the EFL Championship or whoever they needed to send it to, and it didn't go through. They thought it went through. They were going to appeal. Still didn't go through. They actually made a video of him being unveiled to the team. It was on the yeah. internet, him wearing the Blackburn jersey. He stuck around because he thought the appeal was going to work. It didn't work. And now he's got to go all the way back <laughs> to Orlando to now play with them in the CONCACAF Champions League. And this is an absolute, I'm just going to say it, it's a shit show. Uh, and, and since that's happened, Yandel Thomason, famous Danish international who's the coach of Blackburn, has since resigned and took his assistant with him. So maybe it was the best he didn't go to Blackburn. They just seem like they're all over the place. Jesse Marsh. I know I've been you've maybe all along. dabbled in the space before. <laughs> with some things. Well, what are I, your thoughts on this? Yeah, immediately I thought of all the different team managers I've had over the years. And, you know, those, those roles within the staff are massively important because things like this can happen if they don't do their job effectively. And by the way... They have to be like military precise with every decision and every action that they make, because if they do screw something up, it can be of a massive proportion. So I've been lucky over the years to, to have great people that have had a lot of experiences at the clubs, usually that I've worked at. And, to, and I know investing in that, that relationship is really important so that when we need to have hard discussions or when we need to, when I need to make sure that things are being done appropriately and that we're on top of all the details that the trust that the trust level is there because what happens is a lot of times those guys get nervous right they get nervous that they're going to make mistakes and that's the best way to make mistakes so that's not an easy job they don't they don't always get paid their value. They don't always get paid their value because of things like that. It's so important that they execute these things. Now, for Duncan McGuire, you have to feel for him. And I, I remember Dan. this happened to Dan James at Leeds two years before I came, and then they wound up making a transfer later, and he wound up coming to Leeds anyway. Um, but it's can you now imagine Duncan McGuire, how hard it is for him to now – fly back to Orlando, all excited, all of his family and friends were all excited about him going to Blackburn, a big opportunity, and now the window closes and he has to go back to Orlando. He seems like a good kid. He's a professional. This is part of the job. He has to now be, get himself ready to go. But, man, this is, can be a real setback and real disappointment in a young man's life. And hopefully – um, you know, I, I, it seems like he was having a, a, a wonderful time in Orlando. He has a good coach in Oscar Perea. It's a good team. I think he fits there really well. So it'll still, I, I imagine that he'll get back to playing his football, but it's really uh, frustrating and disappointing, I'm sure, for him and for, for all the people around him. Now, Chuck, before I come to you, Blackburn did say in a club statement, as was previously communicated by the club, Rovers will fly over to the U.S. over the coming weeks to try to conclude a pre-contract agreement with Orlando City so that Duncan can officially become a Rovers player in the summer. If you're Duncan McGuire, or if they get relegated and they go down into League One from the championship, because they're not too far off, like I mentioned, do you even want to go to Blackbird at this point? Is that even a club that looks like... Well, yeah, yeah. So, so Duncan McGuire, yes. I mean, he's got to be gutted. I, hopefully, he didn't burn any bridges on his way out of Orlando City, because that's where it's going to get really awkward. But uh, but well, what do you think he should do now with this situation? Regardless, let's say even if Blackburn doesn't get relegated, do you still want to go there? So I think, one, I, don't know. I, I, I think Jesse sounded just as motivational and inspirational as I did for the 23s about Duncan and Orlando. But I, I will say this. I'm going to take the positive road and say he's on the radar for more clubs in Europe if not England, because of this, this failure in, in Blackburn's case. And I don't think it was the best spot for him anyways. So go back, kill it for a half a season in MLS, do what you're doing, continue to build off of that. They just signed Luis Muriel. Hopefully they can strike reportedly, up a partnership. And, yeah, and hopefully <laughs> they strike up a partnership and play well together. And next thing you know, he plays in the Olympics and he's gone. He makes his move, gone. And hopefully to a top division club that has uh, maybe playing in Europe. I think there are better clubs out there for him that are better. I agree suited. with that. I so agree with that. Um, I'll take I'll take that as every. I look at him and say everything happens for a reason. So maybe you dodged the bullet in this case. It's always about finding the right fit, 
And so, I, I mean, I think Duncan McGuire could have could have been a good fit for Blackburn, and I think he would have played right away, which which that would have been a, a good step for him and something that could have helped him. What what you're hoping is that yeah, of course he he, he joins a club that has potential to make it to the Premier League or or play in a little bit bigger matches or or give himself a chance, you know. And and I think some of the Scandinavian windows are still open, so there's still there's still possibilities for for him to move in different ways to different places, but. Um, you know, I am also a believer that things happen for a reason, Charlie. And so in this case, with the coach leaving, with a little bit of turmoil, fighting relegation, was it the best place to go? I think he would have been enough to help them, to secure them in the championship and then maybe help build upon that for next year. Um, but, you know, yeah, you're you're a young man. You play your football. Enjoy your football. Go after it. Enjoy your team. Like Orlando's a good place for him. Like, as long as you enjoy your football and and keep pushing and working hard, finding ways to achieve your potential, doors will be open for them in the future. No doubt. No doubt. You always have to try to get better than you were the day before. And if you have that mentality, it can take you places. I think we can all speak to that when we used to play as well. All right. We're headed into our second break of Call It What You Want. we got Americans Abroad coming up next. we got a lot of goal scorers. We have a lot to talk about. It's going to be a lot of fun. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Call it What You Want. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Charlie Davis and Jesse Marsh, and we are talking a little Americans abroad now. A little recap of our player pool and how we performed. We'll do some notable results. I'm going to go Taylor Booth. He bagged a brace and was named man of the match as Utrecht. Utrecht beat Fortuna Sittard 4-0. Haji Wright scoring both of Coventry's goals in a 2-1 win over Millwall. That's 3-2 now for him and 10 goals and 5 assists overall this season. Way to go, Haji. Johnny Cardoso provides an assist and was named man of the match. In Real Betis's 2-0 win over Cadiz. Ricardo Pepe comes off the bench to score his fifth Eredivisie goal of the season. Daryl Dike, though, on the bad news side, suffers another injury setback after coming back from a nine-month absence. And there was rumors that maybe he tore his other Achilles, which would be absolutely heartbreaking if that's the yeah, case. that's confirmed. Confirmed he tore his other Achilles? Yeah. Oh, God. Man, we're talking about how Duncan McGuire is going to be sad about his current situation. Daryl DK, that is a long, yeah, long road back, and he just came through disappointing. it. Wow. Um, I uh, I need a minute to process that. But, um, you know, those are some of the notable results and news with regard to – but we had plenty of other players that scored. Josh Sargent also got a goal. Uh, Christian Pulisic and Yunus Musa both uh, were in against their Napoli and Milan's 1-0 win. So that's good. But uh, – Chuck, I'll come to you first. Who's who's your most notable player? What's a standout performance from you? Johnny Cardoso. Uh, so I, I was watching Cadiz and Real Betis, and I was curious, how, how does he look in the midfield? And he he formed a really strong partnership with Mark Roca, uh, Jesse, your former player. And Pablo Fornals was also fantastic in this game, but he wins the ball and then plays it in. And next thing you know, Real Betis are up one nil, and he had an assist. He played 90 minutes. He was very solid. He, he connected um, 38 of 39 passes, 97%. He was just, he was just really clean. Not, not a mistake. Four for four with accurate long balls in the game. Um, I was really impressed with his movement, his, his anticipation, and just his clean first touch and, and distribution. So um, you, you think about players making moves. He goes from Internacional in, in Brazil to Real Betis in La Liga, and you think, okay, is he going to play? Is this the right step? This was a phenomenal step, and you can tell that he's taken to this move. He, he's got a good manager who's putting him in a position to excel, and I just think, man, He's going to be giving Greg some problems come come this summer because he, he's he's got a lot of quality. So Pellegrini has has done a good job with him at Betis, and and now he just has to continue to to make the most of his minutes. No, I love it. I'm kind of curious if he can maintain that form and that confidence. He seems like a I'll say an automatic lock for our Nations League semifinal against Jamaica. But if we're really looking for a like for like replacement as close as we can to Tyler Adams. I think Cardoso fits that bill pretty well. All right, a couple other na names before I get to you, Jesse, on this. Uh, Flo Balogun scored for the first time for Monaco since November, but uh, they ultimately lost in the French Cup when he missed a crucial penalty. <laughs> as Monaco crashes out to Rouen, who are a third division team, so that's never a good look. Uh, Nico Giochini subbed on 
got his uh, Como debut, so that's exciting for him. Uh, Luca De La Torre started in the, in the 3-2 loss for Celta to Hatafe 3-2. Uh, another big one, too, that I thought was uh, Leonard Maloney scored for Heidenheim in their 2-1 win over, over Werder Bremen. So that's, uh, that's good for him and good for Heidenheim. Yeah, Heidenheim's to... comfortably mid-table. Amazing. Yeah, it's, pre- it's pretty cool. Now, anybody stand out for you, though, Jesse? Well, I, I did this for you, Jimmy, a little bit. Um, yes. It's your birthday, you know, so I wanted to honor your birthday. And if we go back a few weeks when uh, Tim Ream was hurt and then we weren't sure about him establishing himself back in into the starting lineup, we, we talked a little bit and I said, you know, Tim has proven himself with that team and all he has to do is be ready for his his opportunity. And then again, show the quality and intelligence and, and everything that, that he has in his full package of the kind of player he is. And this game against Bournemouth, I mean, he had two matches this week, so they drew two, two. Um, I think that match was against Burnley and then, and then they won three, one against Bournemouth. Uh, and he had two 90 minute performances. He, he, I, w- I want to say he did not take a wrong step against Bournemouth. He was outstanding. And by the way, so was Anthony Robinson as well. They both had lockdown on the left side in terms of defensive responsibilities. You talked uh, a few episodes before as well, Jimmy, about Anthony Robinson's defensive uh, uh, qualities lately and him performing better and better. Tim Ream was outstanding. I mean, in terms of when to step, when to drop, when to open for for build out play, how to be tight, when to be tight with a striker and when to lay off a little bit. 38 for 39 passes, uh, winning duels, winning headers on corner kicks, um, clearances. I mean, really, really outstanding performance. One of the best defensive performances I've seen in the Prem this year. So, you know, it's good to see Tim back healthy, performing at his best. He's got to be a lock for Nations League, you know, and and I've even questioned a little bit, is he getting a little bit older? Do we need to start investing some younger players for Copa America? But if Tim Ream keeps performing like this, and especially in a three-game, three-match week, and that he shows that his fitness, his, his level of competing, his understanding, and everything continues to be at such a high level, then Tim has to, he's a lock to be in, in the lineup for the U.S. national team. So really happy to see him back in the lineup, really happy to see him performing so well. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that he continues to show what a quality player he is. Well, thank you for highlighting the center back. That warms my heart. I will say also what I love about Tim Ream is that he's clearly a student of the game. He clearly... Whether it's in game, right, where he's recognizing how they how they're being closed down or how they're being pressured or where the space is, but but also I think he watches and he pays attention and he does his homework and I think that all plays out when the game comes and he looks so steady and that steadiness is ultimately for me one of the biggest intangibles you can have as a center back and as a leader and as a captain and that's why I think he's still really important to the U.S. men's national team. He was outstanding, Jimmy. You should. Yeah. I mean, he was outstanding. Yeah, yeah. And and his quality too on the ball is is something that not a lot of our guys have consistently that he does and and usually makes the right decision on the ball too, which we can't say that about a lot of our guys. In most well, I don't say most positions, but in a lot of our positions. All right, well, all I'm going with is uh Taylor Booth. I just want to give him another shout out. He's got five goals in his last two games. That's ridiculous. And as I mentioned before, he bagged a brace and was named man of the match uh, as Utrecht beat uh, Fortuna Sittard 4-0, but but He's just so busy. And as we've mentioned, and as I say over and over, confidence is a hell of a drug. And when you have that type of confidence, it can take you places. Now it's just a matter of when things aren't going your way, can you maintain that confidence? Can you manufacture it even when you don't have the goals to back it up? And and these are going to be one of those moments that I'll be watching Taylor Booth. Can he still have an impact on the game even if he's not hitting the back of the net? Can he still have the assist to the assist? Or can he still create enough space to open up something for his teammates that are going to ultimately impact the game in a positive way. So my eyes are on him. Uh, Eric Ten Hag, manager of Manchester United, has mentioned that he would have loved to bring him to United at some point, which could be a too big of a step so soon. Maybe there's a little baby step in between that before you go to one of those big clubs. But he clearly has something. So I'm very ex- excited to see what uh, Greg Berhalter decides to do with Taylor Booth moving forward and how he continues to fight and, and make sure he proves himself so he can get into the team at some point. But uh, We may have 
candidate for the president of the Taylor Booth fan club. It's me. I'm wearing his pajamas right now. It's so crazy. I've got the at Taylor least, Booth you, you, At least put his jersey up in the background there. <laughs> at least a photo of you giving him a hug. <laughs> you know what? I mean, five goals in two in the two straight games. How, how can I not talk about it? Replace that? the Pele Maradona with you holding Booth's head, <laughs> yeah. holding his face. Yeah. Uh, I absolutely. I love that. I love that. All right. Well, we got some upcoming fixtures for our player pool. Coming up, it's also a Champions League week and a Europa League week. But uh, we got Real Betis taking on Dinamo Zagreb. That'll be happening Thursday in the Europa League. AC Milan taking on Ren. Make sure that uh, you guys check us out. We're going to have a recap podcast for these results on Friday. So two podcasts in one week. Call it what you want. Yeah, you're lucky. You're welcome also. And then Saturday, Celta Vigo taking on Barcelona. Not the same Barcelona, not the Barcelona you grew up with. No, this is other kind of, this yeah, like an imposter version of this Barcelona. <laughs> Another one, uh, Hell Yes Verona taking on Juve. That'll be happening on the Golasso channel. And then Monaco versus Nothing Toulouse. Yeah, that's my bad joke. That's happening at 9 a.m. We'll see if Flo Balogun can get back into the starting 11. He came off the bench uh, this past weekend. So, yeah, big we'll games. Let big players. We'll let you get away with that joke. We'll let you get away. Yeah, thank you. It's yeah. a dad joke. I, I'm also. <laughs> oh, old. Jimmy. Also oh, <laughs> so, yo, you got me there with that one. Yeah, it's okay. a dad joke. It's you know a dad what? joke. You're, you're, you're honoring your age. With uh, well, you know what? I, I'm going to need a moment. So, we're going to take a break. When we come back, though, we're going to talk about the MLS and get into our preview for this upcoming season, including Americans to watch in the context of potential U.S. men's national team call-ups. So don't go anywhere. You that they're on, on, on a podium right now of best European teams. Nonetheless... So I was just getting a phone call from Clint Dempsey, by the way. Answer. <laughs> hey, Clint. Yo, what the hell? You're on TV. <laughs> You're on, You're on TV, live bro. TV, dog. <laughs> Oh, what's up? <laughs> I don't know if people can hear him. Put him closer to your mic. I think they can hear him. It's nice and loud. How you doing? Right, man, chill. I just want to catch up with you. All right. Well, you're hey, on more footy right Inter now. Inter Milan, top three or top five team in Europe? Man, it's too early for the type of question. <laughs> All right. I'll call you later, bro. He's All right, bro. Be good. Y'all take care. On a boat later, fishing later. somewhere. You love it. That's a nice flex, Charlie. Just just Clint Dempsey calling you in the morning. No big deal. I was like, why is he calling me at 9 in the morning? When is he getting up yeah, early? Wh- to- wh- what was he calling you for? I don't know. I will yet to be determined. <laughs> you know, we're, all getting, we're all getting older, so we're all he's getting up earlier. He's probably not yeah. staying out as late. Uh, he's probably, he's probably he's going out. He's got like 12 children he's got to take care of. <laughs> I mean, he's a busy man. He's yeah, probably he getting busy. ready to go to the golf course. Like he's, he just wanted to like catch up or something. Yeah, wow. Clint Dempsey, wow, that's a nice flex. Jesse, anytime you want to have whoever call you just to try to one-up Chuck, you're you're, uh, more than welcome to do that. All right, let's get into... Wait, sorry, it's Joe Biden. Hang on. (laughs) (laughs) All right, MLS preview time. Let's let's get into it. Uh, Columbus Crew won it last year. Wilfer Nance Nance getting uh, the, the big win, obviously. Taking taking his ideas from Montreal and and coming to Columbus and and allowing those I think those ideas to really blossom in a meaningful way and even when they lost Lucas Elorayan they they were like it's no problem we got this figured out and they go on to win MLS Cup and it was fantastic and so I guess let's just start there let's start with the champs do you think they can repeat do you think that this league is built for teams to repeat there's a lot of layers to this one and Jesse I'll come to you first. You know, I, I said, I think after they won that, I didn't think they're the best team in the league. Now, they, they had a really good run at the end of the year. And often we know in MLS that peaking at the right time in playoff time is what can sometimes win you a trophy. Um, now, I think that it's a, it's still one of the bet, better teams, one of the best teams in the league. And I think Nancy's one of the best coaches in the league, for sure, for me. Uh I also know whether it was as a player or then even, you know, I never won MLS Cup as a coach, but won the Supporter Shield, that repeating after successful seasons is very, very difficult to do in MLS. Uh, so, you know, what happens is everybody kind of forgets how hard it was to work, how, how much hard work it took to get to that success. And everybody thinks that maybe they played a little bit bigger role than they actually did. And then special interests and egos get involved. And when things don't go 
right, uh, well in the next season, then there's more to manage in terms of all of these things and, and expectations. So um, I think it will be hard for Columbus to repeat, even though I think they have a good team and a good coach. And I think that, you know, now I, specifically when I look at Cincinnati and, and adding Miles Robinson, I think that they're probably the team to beat. So, um, But, but – Let's segue this then, Chuck, into you. They lost Brandon Vasquez to Monterey. So he didn't maybe produce as well as he had in the previous season when he had scored so many goals, but he's still obviously a big presence. And and I think that they're going to miss him. Regardless of whoever they signed, Vasquez knew the system. They got Corey Baird to come in, and Bupenza was already there. They played without Vasquez quite a bit um, last season. So, And to be honest, Brandon Vasquez wasn't, hot last year he he, he struggled in front of goal so and they still managed to do well so Bupenza is probably gonna be asked to do a little bit more and they signed Corey Baird off for free agency so they got Miles Robinson and Corey Baird off of free agency those are massive signings in MLS and I I, I think they're gonna be very good but I also think Atlanta United are gonna be much better than they were last year Tiago Almada is only getting better. He was player of, of the U twenty three qualifying in South America for Argentina as they're going to the Olympics uh, with Paraguay and Brazil is is you think out. They sell so, him in the summer though. The the big issue there is yeah, how to make the move uh, in the summer. I mean, they got to wait for the right offer. So a team has to come in with a, a considerable bid. Um, otherwise, he's he's going to stay there. So he he's are already top one of the top three players in MLS. Um, Atlanta are going to be much better than they were last year. So in order to repeat, like, like Jesse said, it's very difficult. You got a target on your back all, all, all season teams are only getting better. Um, I, I think it's going to be very difficult for, for Columbus. And it's not like Columbus added a, a, a number of pieces to make them that much better, which I, I think they need to get better defensively. I, th- I think a team that excites me. With now with Duncan McGuire coming back <laughs> as Orlando City with this rumored Luis Muriel coming over and they got Nico Ladero from Seattle Sounders, who's obviously super crafty and experienced and a, and a proven winner. That is interesting weapons at Oscar Pereja's disposal. That's one. But then the, the elephant in the room, and before we even get into the western side of, of MLS, let's get in to stay on the east, is Leo Messi and Inter-Miami. I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think they're going to do anything. I'm just going to put my flag in the ground. and, and like, Are you going to say they're not going to make playoffs? I think they'll make the playoffs, but I don't think they're going to okay. win any trophies. I don't think they're going to win any trophies. I think the season's a grind. There are multiple competitions. The demands on the time of their best, best players are so much that I think it does take its toll. We've already seen it in their preseason travels. And I don't think their supporting cast is good enough yet. Now, it's not to say Inter-Miami won't be good in the, the subsequent year moving forward as they start to find that balance. But right now I think the balance is off. Jesse Marsh, where are you, mean, you on what do you mean subsequent year? They don't, they, Suarez, uh, Messi, they, they don't I get have that. Alba. The, the clock is ticking. It is ticking. I, I don't think this year they're going to do it. I think it'll be the following year where that this is going to be the last ride for those guys. And then they're going to have a better supporting cast or a much more evolved, mature, hopefully healthy supporting cast. And I think that will be the year, which is, I think, that, the year they want to open up their stadium, right? So it's all going to kind of tie back in. Line the, the, the narrative atrocious. builds itself. <laughs> that, back, that back line is absolutely atrocious, Jimmy. Yes. I, yes. You could walk into it now and play and start. Oh, good. Sign me up. That would be like fun. That, what an adventure. I, I'm telling you, it is bad. You, you, you trade away your best defender in Kamal Miller. That I don't understand. I really didn't don't replace, understand. Didn't replace yeah. him? I, know. I mean, it even it even sends it sets a tone right for the team that the, losing a player like Miller to me doesn't make any sense. And and you could argue what's his best position? Is he a six? Is he a center back? Sometimes he can play outside back. But um, Miami is going to have to pick up some defenders, you know. And and obviously we all know Messi's quality, but he's always uh, been equipped with a team that can support the things that he doesn't provide, you know? And, and I know like when we played uh, PSG at Leipzig, we knew that between Mbappe, Neymar and Messi, that they weren't going to defend. So we knew that it was a game that we had to control the ball. We had to try to make those guys run. We had to attack in certain and try to possess the ball in certain places to see if Messi and Neymar were going to defend on the day. 
And then we obviously had to be aware that we couldn't lose balls in bad spots because they can quickly hurt you. And typically they save energy for those transition moments where they can have the biggest impact in games. Um, now, even just saying that out loud, right, <laughs> is, is absurd. And in both, both those matches, we played really well and controlled the game, but those guys made plays. And that's what, that's what it'll come down to over, over a season, right? And, and in all the different matches they have, can they stay healthy? And then how will they man- – like Messi's a master of ma- managing himself, right? He's very seldomly injured. He's always available. He plays 90 minutes every match, and he makes an impact in every match he plays. So I think you should be a little bit careful, Jimmy, about betting against him. Like he still has the quality at, at his age, and he I get can it. still play, and he can still deliver like we've seen. If he can stay healthy, if he can stay fit, if they can defend and find a way – for, if Tata Martino can find a way to create a structure around those star players – I would not bet against them. To to win what? What trophy do you think they're going to win? I mean, what? I, I, I think just... they'll compete for in every tournament they're in, and and you know probably they have to think about okay, what do they value most? Certainly, they don't. Not making the playoffs last year, I think they f- for sure want to compete for MLS Cup. Um, no, they want Concacaf Champions Cup. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 that tournament as well. They're going to have to now decide a little bit as a club what do we value the most. Like they went all in on Leagues Cup. What did they do? They won it, right? So they're going to have to determine a little bit and and weight certain tournaments within their season. But again, if they're putting out, if they're staying healthy and they're putting out a good team and they're creating a structure around Messi and Suarez, I wouldn't bet against them. Yeah, the key is if they can build that structure around those guys, which is where I'm – those are the waters I'm swimming in. All right, let's get into uh, just the West very quickly, and and we'll get into our Americans to watch. In the West, I said the Western Conference. I I, I I wanted to pick a manager at first. Chris Armas is a really interesting one at Colorado Rapids. They're making some crazy signings that are all for the good with Zach Steffen and Sammy Vines and Georgie Mihailovic. Uh, in particular, but uh, something something's afoot in Colorado, which I find very interesting because they only won five games in the league last year. But let's get into uh, our players to watch. So, Chuck, who, what American player do you think is on the precipice of having a good MLS season and could push mm-hmm. into the, the U.S. men's national team? Well, I mean, we, we just look at the last U.S. men's national team friendly match in, in January camp, and, and that's going to be Esmir Bayraktarovic because we know – what a gifted player he is in terms of individual quality and skill. He possesses something different than uh, most other players in the player pool. Yet he's he only had five starts last season, right? So a player got into January camp that only started five games, which is also like really. But at the same time, you see why he has this quality and the skill that other players don't, and the and the confidence to go along with it. So. Uh, in getting 498 minutes last season, zero goals, zero assists. That's the one player with a new coach in Caleb, Caleb Porter, surrounded by Carlos Hill and company, that you have to watch for next year because he's got so much upside and potential. Now can can he be consistent? Can he stay on the pitch? Can he contribute? And then you have the Olympics. So this is one player uh, I'll be watching very closely. Of course, I, I, I live in New England so uh, and call those games. So I'll be watching him uh, really closely and see how he continues to develop. All right. I like that shout. I'm curious to see how he plays for new coach, New England Revolution, Caleb Porter, uh, who does have a tendency of trusting and playing a lot of young players. So that could fit the bill quite nicely. I, I'm going to go Carly, next. Carly just wanted to say his name. He says his name so well that I think he just wanted to use this opportunity. <laughs> I better. I'm the, I'm the, I call the damn games. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. All right, Jesse, I'm going to go next. I'm going to go with the LA Galaxy and, and LA Galaxy's Jalen Neal. Now the Galaxy were one of the worst defenses in the league last year. They gave oh. 67 goals in 34 games. Uh, Jalen Neal only unfortunately played in 16 of those. He ended up having sports hernia surgery and it's being reported now that he's going to be out for another six to eight weeks. Now, I already made my pick about Jalen Neal. He's a six foot three, 20 year old center back. He's got already six caps for the U.S. men's national team. So he's clearly on the radar. But I thought, man, if he could really show that steadiness that we were talking about with Tim Ream in a way where he just keeps the highs, highs and the lows at a minimum, that maybe he could break in. I think there's, there's room for that in that particular position for our player pool. 
But this new setback, six to eight weeks, is is heartbreaking for him. So hopefully he can he can find a way to get back into it. The Galaxy are going to need him, and they're going to need some type of jokes. If they don't have a good first ten games, I think that Greg Vanny could be on the chopping block. And and I think Austin FC, Josh Wolf is in the same boat. Like you have to have a good first ten games that really demonstrates your identity and your philosophy. That's why I was going to throw that at you, Jimmy. Is is do you think that interferes with his progress and 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 also getting match time because? Greg Vanny's going to be on the hot seat, scorching hot seat yeah, right as yeah. the season starts. So if they don't do well, like, do you see him playing a young Jalen Neal? If, if he's still coming back from injuries, missed so much time, given giving him the time he needs to get up to speed. Or do you think he's like, ah, every game could be, you know, my last, I, I'm going to go with, you know, veterans or, or guys who have, have been training, you know, I'll be honest. The veterans are the guys that have been letting Greg Vanny down. So at this point, why not? just roll out not everybody i shouldn't throw everybody under the bus there but but jalen neal i think has demonstrated he could be the guy but i understand where you're coming from and that desperation does elicit different types of yeah. emotions and maybe tactical formations so we'll see jalen neal missing the first six to eight weeks is going to be heartbreaking we'll see if he gets thrown into the dumpster fire right when he comes back that'll be kind of to your point do you roll him out right when he gets healthy because he's your best option or one of your best options so so the galaxy in particular right the most successful club in MLS history, five MLS cups, more than anybody else now being overshadowed by their noisy neighbor, LAFC who are having more recent success. And so they need to have a type of response uh, that, that demonstrates that they're ready to be one of the top clubs in the league again. And I don't know, they got some work to do. All right, Jesse, how about you? Any, any names that we should be paying attention to? I, I, I looked at this a little bit differently. I, I, I looked at, okay, where is the U S roster a little bit weak? And I think I focused a little bit in the back and, and, and specifically at an outside back, fullback. Mm -hmm. And like if Anthony Robinson goes down, what happens? Well, probably Dest goes to the left and, and then Scally comes in and plays on the right, right? But I think that we need to have some alternatives at left back as well. So I went with Sam Vines. And, and I know he didn't have his greatest European adventure when he went to Royal Antwerp. Um, but I still think it's a player that athletically uh, has enough to play at the highest levels and being left footed, a left back. He can provide some some um, attacking prowess on the left wing at times. Defensively, maybe he lets himself down at times. Uh, but and, and I think that knowing Chris Armis, knowing the kind of coach he is, knowing the kind of person he is, I think he can really help him develop more and more and more and, and help bring the best out of him. So I think that's what, what, if I'm the national team coach, if I'm Greg Berhalter, that's what I'm looking at is I'm looking at, okay, which play, not just which players in MLS are performing well. Like we have a lot of attacking options in Europe, right? And guys that are performing at high levels that have high quality. So you could talk about guys like Luciano uh, Acosta and you could talk about bringing in some of these types of players, but I think if I'm the national team coach, I'm looking specifically at, okay, where is our roster a little bit weak and what kind of players do I think have a chance to establish themselves in the group now and help us at Copa America and then eventually at the World Cup? Jesse, do you rate him over Tolkien and Caleb Wiley? I rate him for I rate him for now. I, I'd say at least he's in that category and has potential to emerge at a higher level than them. Um, but w let's see. You know, right. I listen. I thought about Tolkien as well, and I thought about Wiley as well. But I want to see Sam Vines coming back from Europe, playing for Chris Armis in a system where I think Chris will. Uh, he needs outside backs who are aggressive, who are going to be on the front foot. So I think there's potential for him to develop under Chris. So the the that, the, the the combination of all these things is the reason why I'm going to keep my eye on him. I was going to ask you guys. Who is going to be champion of MLS this year? But I just don't know. I don't know if you can give a real sound answer with any real. It's the same every year. It's the same every year. Is it FC Cincinnati? Tough. Yeah, no, it is tough, tough. FC Cincinnati looks like the team that, that is probably the best position to make it happen. But I like Houston Dynamo. I like what Ben Olsen and Pat Onset have put together there. And Don't and, sleep on uh, LAFC either. Too. No, you yeah. can't. You can't. You can't. So it's going to be a great and very competitive MLS season in multiple competitions. So it should be a lot of fun to see how. This whole season plays out. All right, we're going to get into our last break of Call It What You Want. When we come back, we're talking a little sin bins or blue cards or all kinds of new rules that may or may not happen, but we're going to talk about it anyway. Welcome to the stretch run of Call It What You Want. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Charlie Davis and Jesse Marsh. And uh, to finish the show, we're going to talk about the possibility 
of blue cards being introduced for 10-minute sin bin trials or penalty box stuff for all you hockey fans out there. That if there is, I don't know, just creates more gray area, I think. And I've heard from some of the top managers around the world, Jurgen Klopp and and Carlo Ancelotti, and, and I kind of loved how they summarized it, which was, the game should be more simple, less complicated. That we need we need less rules and, and instead of more of them. But anyway, if it I guess this is for some room for dissent or different. I don't know. They're gonna figure out where the blue card comes in. But I know for yeah. a fact that that and I kind of like this one, where if a guy's in, you know those tactical yellow card fouls where it's a three versus two in midfields, and you can see that it's gonna break, and then Somebody just comes in and horse tackles or two foot somebody or whatever it may be, but it's enough to slow that attack down. It seems like an automatic yellow and it doesn't seem fair that the team that was going to have a very good attack now has to get slowed down. And now the opposing team can get, you know, 11 people. That's back part of the, the game. I get that. I get that. But I could see where a blue card that, that for me, yeah, take them off for 10 minutes. Cause that, that how would about, make how about for simulation? Hard. How about for simulation for diving? That's another good one too. So I kind of oh, like the screwed. rule, to be honest. I like that, <laughs> but I like I like the blue card for for specific incidences where you don't want to throw anybody out, right? You don't want to throw anybody out for their second yellow or for for simulation. But to make that team suffer for ten minutes feels like a nice happy medium. So there there are areas of the blue card that I like, but ultimately I think it's going to cause a lot more headache and stress and tension than we probably want in the game. Those are my thoughts, uh, Jesse. What about yours? I'm with when you say Klopp and Ancelotti about keeping the game simple. Listen, first of all, being a referee is miserable, right? This is a (laughs) tough job. And by the way, every country I've gone to, every country, they all complain about their referees and they say they're terrible and they they don't do this well and they don't do that well. You know, I've in Germany specifically, I think the referees are are quite good. And but at the when I was in the Bundesliga as an as an assistant and as a head coach. There were a lot of veteran uh, referees that 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 were still around and that are that are now gone. But you know, you're just now introducing more rules, maybe more things to have VAR off off of, more compli- complicated things happening within the game. Keep the game simple. Keep the rules simple to understand for the fans. You know, I, I I get it that sometimes things happen on the pitch that take advantages away from the game. But like Charlie said, like the, the smartest defenders know how to use the rules to benefit them. And by the way, with offsides and with everything happening in the game, they're making it harder and harder for players to defend, for for penalties, for handballs in the box. Let's keep it simple. Right. Let's if anything, let's take away some rules. <laughs> I would be more of a proponent for doing for finding ways to simplify the game. So, yeah, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like yeah. it. Yeah. One thing I'll add to what you just said was consistency. When when refs call a game, all you want is a player. Just if you're going to call the game in that particular way, then just stay consistent with the way you're calling that game throughout the, the whole the game. Handballs in the box are a perfect example. Right. 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 So, so, and that, that's, that's in game. That's also from game to game in the same league. Like they're not being called the same way. And I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes as players, as coaches, as fans, like, why aren't we all calling this the same way? And, and if they can figure out how to solve that, which I think would help in simplifying everything, like this is what the handball rule is. And there's no other interpretation of it. This is just what it is. But, but yeah, human error is part of it. Chuck, your thoughts. Yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm always going to be just keep it simple. Yeah. yeah. Simple. Uh, let's just not add any more wrinkles to the game. I mean, VAR isn't even sorted out yet. There's there's too many games where you're left be just wondering why are you extending the game? Why are you slowing it down? Let it just be flowing naturally the way it always is. Sometimes I'm always like I don't even think we need VAR. Just if there was something egregious where it was crystal clear, there was a mistake made that, you know, everyone makes mistakes, but this is a huge one that's game altering intervene, change it. But <clears throat> the ones that are left for interpretation, th- those are the ones that drive me crazy. If a ref has to go to the monitor just to sit there for another 10 minutes, it's not clear and obvious. What are we doing? <laughs> so, I I would rather not see a blue card because then it's always going to come back to, well, did it meet the threshold of a blue card? 
Did we give that I, I player a blue theory. card? I have a theory. I have a theory that because FIFA changed the pass back to the goalkeeper rule, right, which was 20, 30 years ago, and this was by far the best rule ever introduced in modern football. I agree to that. I think that they've now – that's empowered them to always be thinking, okay, what's next? What's the next rule that we need to change? And how are we going to impact the game in a positive way? Which is dangerous to me. Like, I, And I don't pretend to be a purist or – like that is, that is for me the greatest rule change in my lifetime, right? And probably the greatest rule change we'll ever see. It's sped up the game. It's made the game more, I think, energetic. It's made pressing uh, a possibility. It's done a lot of good things to the game. But sometimes we're overcomplicating all these new ideas and new rules. And, and I think it's been exacerbated by what happens with VAR in every different country. So the only yeah. thing that, I, that I'd say is a benefit in my time is the five subs. So you can play a little bit more aggressive and know that you, you, you have five players to choose from instead of three. And then the, head, the, the concussion um, protocol so that you can make a sub and and have it not be counted as a sub if it's a concussion protocol substitution. So I think those are big changes that benefit the game. And and you're allowed to have, you know, five substitutions in three windows, which makes sense. And halftime's not a window as well. So I'm I'm okay with those. Anything else, like you said, Jesse, it's just it's just too much. Well I have a theory as well. And it's the end of the show. That's my theory, everybody. Oh! So make sure to follow <laughs> Call it what you want wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for the birthday wishes. And please take a few seconds to leave us a rating. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, a review. We'd appreciate that, especially the five-star ones. And catch us on the CBS Sports Golasso Network. It's my birthday. Give us five stars. Write something good about us. Okay, we'll see you next time. Remember, we have a special recap podcast on Friday. All right, we'll see you then. Later.